Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's survival show, helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Hey, I'm sorry I've been away for a while. It's a little tough to manage two podcasts and everything else I have going on in my life. As most of you know, I'm fighting cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Doing pretty well, by the way. The most recent test results show that most of my cancer is gone. Hopefully, after one more chemotherapy treatment, I got one more to go. Hopefully, I'll be cancer-free. If not, I'm going to have to go through some more alternative treatments and things like that. But God willing, and that's my daily prayer, is that God willing, I can be cancer-free here in three to five weeks or so. And of course, most of you know my, my wife is battling an illness. You know, she's been diagnosed with ALS. That's kind of questionable, but, you know, she's having some, some of the symptoms that are consistent with that. And, uh, and my son's have, my son's got some anxiety overall, which I can certainly understand. He's 16 years old. And it's tough for some of these teenagers to understand what's going on. So, God and family come first. And I'm trying to put out two podcasts at the same time. But that's okay. I love doing this and I like helping people. And that is my goal is to help people. Fortunately, two loyal listeners and also two forum members, Mexican Joe and Mark the Noof, they got together and they talked about reloading ammo. Now, if you listen to my Handgun World podcast, this is you're going to hear this all over again. So I'm broadcasting this on both podcasts this week, on this show and also on my Handgun World podcast. Some of you don't listen to the Handgun World podcast, though, so that's why I'm putting, up, putting it up here on today's survival show. I don't talk a lot about weapons and things on this show because I have another podcast for that, but it is a survival prep. And if you want to save money or be able to save money and shoot more, you know, having weapons is a very important survival prep. If, if they're legal to have in the area that you live in, I know some of you who listen to this, some of you live in areas where owning firearms is tough, and there's a lot of restrictive laws, unfortunately, but if, if you can do it, if you can own firearms, which it's very important to do that, you have to have a means of good self-defense. If the stink hits the fan, I firmly believe if it hits the fan bad enough, there will be violent people that will do violent things and try to take your stuff because they were ill-prepared, because they haven't been listening to my show and several others out there, and they haven't been paying attention. And they've, they've been like ostriches with their heads stuck in the sand, not paying attention, worried about a lot more trivial stuff than what they should be worried about. So those people are going to do desperate things. You need to have a good stockpile of ammunition. Now, what's a good stockpile? I don't know. For some of you, it might be three or 400 rounds. For some of you, it could be five or 6,000 rounds. It depends on what your needs are. But if you're an active shooter, not an active shooter, I shouldn't say that. Terrible. If you are a um, shooting enthusiast and you really believe in training for self-defense, reloading ammo is a pretty good idea. And you can either do it to save money, or you can do it to save money so that you shoot more. Now, Mexican Joe and Mark Danouf got together, did a great interview on this, and I'm going to play it for you right now. Well, yeah, it's getting tough out there. Yeah, no doubt. I work in home invasions, mostly. Uh, some murder, uh, occasional rape, uh, and I'm a huge advocate of gun control, absolutely. Uh, competition is stiff, and it, it doesn't help that every time I kick in a door 
or smash a window that I face the possibility of being shot and killed. Listen, the fact is, allowing citizens to own guns creates a hostile work environment for me and my associates. Uh, no one should have to work under, under those conditions. Uh, I say make them all illegal, absolutely. Make all gun ownership illegal. I mean, I break the law for a living. I'm a professional, so it doesn't really bother me. <clears throat> I mean, but personally, knowing that most homeowners don't have guns, uh, that would make me a lot more comfortable, uh, more confident, and it would surely increase productivity. No doubt. No doubt. Your local violent criminals work hard and put their lives on the line every time they attempt to murder, rape, abduct, or assault a member of the citizenry. They desperately need your help. With your support, there may finally come a day when a violent criminal can have his way with you or someone you love without the fear, anxiety, and stress caused by knowing there's a possibility his victim might be armed. Please show your support by voting for stronger anti-gun legislation because criminals prefer unarmed citizens. All right, Mexican Joe here, uh, back with another interview to try to help Bob out. Uh, I've got I've got Mark on the line here, and we're going to go over some reloading. Um, how you doing today, Mark? I managed to pull through, I do believe. <laughs> okay, and your name is 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 it Mark the Noof? Mark the Noof. Yep. Okay, and I've been wondering this. What is the Noof? The Noof. You're a you're a basically a Noof or a Noofie or a Newfoundland or somebody from Newfoundland, Canada. Oh, okay, okay. That's originally where I'm from. <laughs> okay, I've always wondered that, and I had never gotten a chance to ask. Yeah. Okay, um, now Mark's, Mark's going to go into some details about reloading. Uh, me and Mark have kind of discussed this, and this is just basics of what reloading is and how you can how it works for you and saves you money and everything else and helps you out with your reloading. Um, we're not going to get real deep in the technicals because somebody's going to try to tear it apart. Um, one of the comments that right off the bat that I want to tell people, and, and Mark, I think that you'll, you'll agree to this, is safety. Yeah. I mean, you're dealing with gunpowder that's open powder, primers that are reactive, all that kind of stuff. This is not something you just run out and throw a teaspoon of this in or a little bit of that in. It's all precise measurements. Yeah. There's, so, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff going on here. At the end of the day, you're making a controlled explosion. Right. So, so keep that in mind when, you know, if you don't, you know, stuff blows up. You should, you should always have your eyes covered and your hands protected. I mean, you're dealing with nasty metals sometimes. I mean, there's lead and things like that. So right at the very beginning, if you're going to be doing any sort of work with this stuff, make sure that, you know, you're covered. I mean, that, that's really what we're talking about. Cover your eyes. Cover your hands, gloves, even those silly little, uh, was it the mechanics gloves? Right. I mean, if a primer, go, a primer isn't going to hurt you really, but I mean, if it goes off, it, it goes off, it'll give you a burn. 
and uh, you know having gloves on helps. Yeah, yep, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think I think when I was doing it back in the day, safety was as big an issue, and we didn't wear safety glasses, but now we do, and now I wear them all the time when I'm doing stuff. Yeah, and it's you know there's there's all kinds of things that you know you shouldn't mix and, and shouldn't be around. It's it's you know like try to keep the primer separate from the powder and. You know, obviously, keep hot stuff away. Don't be doing this in front of the campfire if you can help it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's 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 just a lot of it's common sense. And you know, I don't know about you, Joe, but I got a fire extinguisher on each end of the room here, just in case. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of fire extinguishers. It's it's the same thing as a gun. You know, yes, my fire extinguisher is loaded. Yeah. Um. Now, just to kind of to try to start things, I think in the beginning. I mean, you know, tell me how you feel. I think in the beginning, you should start off with getting the uh, manuals because yeah. you don't pull these loads and these these measurements and all this stuff just out of a hat. You work through two to three different books. I know that when I started, I started with a Hornady book and then got a Sierra book, and I don't remember what the third one was I got, but you could do run a comparison load with different powders, primers, and bullets for what you're doing. Yeah. There's, there's really, I mean... Uh, a lot of people swear by the lead book, and I, I kind of like, I, I think the lead book was actually one of the last ones I bought, and uh, it's actually quite good. And, and what you do is, like you say, you do you do a comparison. It might be that, you know, uh, one says five grains, the other one says 4.8, the other one says 5.2. Okay, well, let's start with five, you know, um, that sort of thing. And, and it may be actually that some of the books will give you loads for uh, a specific weight of bullet, Using a specific powder that the other book won't have. Right. So not only that, but it could be that you know, uh, let's say I'm just giving an example here. Let's say the new uh, Hornady flex tip bullets, right? Guaranteed, Hornady will probably have them in their loading manuals. Right. Right. But, but there's a chance that the other loading manuals won't. So not only do you get uh, a good, you know number of different loads with different charges and different bullets and things like that, but you also get the specific hardware being listed. So it's, it's, it's a good idea. Not only does it kind of expand your, your, your knowledge and, and your database, but it gives you a good idea if you're doing it right. Right. Now, when I got my second book, like I said, I think I started out with a Hornady, and I think I got the Sierra after that. And I basically, in the beginning of the book, it actually goes through the how to, how to reload and all of that, and I read I read in the second book, and even though it was generally the same, it was actually uh, put out there a little different. So that was kind of nice, and it explained a couple of things. Um, you, you know, and again, like you had said, some of the difference in some of the books isn't just the bullets. Some books are, when you get into a certain, whether it be 45 or 38 or 357 or whatever, they're specifying a certain primer. For this entire set of data, yeah, there's. I mean, a, a good example of that uh, is for the rifle with uh, uh, the M1 Garand. Uh, you have to have uh, limits to what you're going to throw that bullet at, and, and I mean, velocity-wise and pressure-wise. And I do believe it's the Hornady book actually has a complete section on loading for the Garand, and and I don't think the others do. And is that because the bullet will spin itself apart if it gets too hot? No, what happens is if you if you use a powder that's too slow and you do pressure spikes in it, 
you can actually get enough uh, pressure coming through the piston rod system to bend the operating rod and ruin your gun. Okay. So, and, and that applies to a certain extent to the M1A as well. So, again, that is not something I've seen in any other book, and it just so happens that the Hornady book was the second one I bought. I was like, huh, look at that. I did not, because up until that point, I was just taking it, you know, from people on the, the all-knowing Internet that that's how you do it. Right. Now I ha actually have, you know, written information from Hornady using their bullets, using typical charges and, and primers and things like that, so I have backup. And that's what it's all about. Really. Joe, it's about backing up what you're doing. Right. Now, something that you just mentioned there that I think that a lot of people who haven't ever reloaded don't understand is um, you, said a, you said a slow-burning powder. Um, when, when we say slow-burning powder and reloading, we're not talking about really slow. We're talking about something that bone, burns slower than a fast-burning powder, but it's still microseconds. Right. Um, but when, you get a, when you're running a slower-burning powder, you end up with more pressure. Right. It, it burns slower, so you get gets more pressure while in the barrel and in the casing, and takes off. A faster burning powder would give you a uh, a lighter load theoretically. I know that uh, from my experience, I used to run uh, 357, and my typical high pressure load was using IMR 4227, which is a grain or like it looks like sand, and it was a very high pressure load but when I used the Desert Eagle I had to have that right. now now when I used the uh, 357 revolver I would use uh, 700X high score 700X which is actually a shotgun powder but they do have load data for it and it really it gave me some really light 357 loads that were really easy to manage and, and that's the thing about reloading though is that you know when you ignore uh the, the, the hobby side of it as such when you ignore you know the, the t and there is cost savings to it you just end up shooting a whole bunch more because well you can do it with abandon because you're reloading right but yeah. you can tweak and customize to suit whatever you're, you're, you're doing and, and that to me is one of the uh, big advantages you can win and you can make uh, you know for your 1911 you can make a, a low recoil plinking practice load well, you can also make uh, a thumper that is the equivalent of a plus P that's, you know, pushing at, a, at a, the better part of a thousand feet per second to match your defensive loads. If you want to practice uh, with defensive loads but not add a buck of bullet, you know? Right. And, and, and right there you said something about, you know, you talked about the cost savings, is that if I'm running a powder and I'm using seven grains of powder or 12 grains, whatever, and another load's running 14 grains. Now, grains is different than grams. It really gets really in-depth. It's very light. I mean, it's like it's like a cigarette ash probably weighs 10 grains. It's seven, seven I believe it's 7,000 grains per pound, I think is what it is. Right. So when it comes into the cost savings, when we're talking about that, if you're buying a, a can of powder, I used to buy it in, by the pound, one pound at a time. Because I, I wasn't doing that much, but if I if I'm only using ten grains per bullet for this specific load, but on another load I'm using thirty grains, I'm using more powder when I'm using thirty grains. So then you start comparing price per per powder, and I get, that's where your cost savings comes in, right? Or where it starts. And it's like you know what? Again, I, I don't know about you, Joe, but I didn't save a lot because honestly, I just 
I shoot 45 with a bandit now. I just don't care. I'll go blow through 200 rounds in a session and it won't even cause me to hiccup because, you know, it's cheap. Whereas before, I mean, I would go out and I'd buy a 50-pack 45 and it'd be about 30 bucks. I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to shoot 50 today. Well, right. yeah, well, and see, what happens is, you know, you start out with the cost savings, um, and, I, and I totally agree with that, but what ends up happening is your cost actually ends up becoming the same, but you shoot three times as much. Yeah. So, okay, so basically, I mean, that's how I justified it with, with my ex-wife was, you know, well, you know, I, you know, I'm saving money, and I'm just spending time, I'm down here in the shop, I'm okay, I'm not doing anything, and then after a while, she's like, well, you're at the range a lot. Was because as soon as I get a load worked up and I'd get it zeroed, then I'd be shooting that load quite a bit more. I mean, I'd go out and shoot, yeah, two, three hundred rounds in a session, or before it'd be like a box, maybe two. So yeah, yeah. I, I fortunately my wife likes to go to the range with me, and uh, actually she, she we've done some training with Bob, and uh, I load thirty eight special for her, and uh, I mean she shoots the snot out of that little revolver that I've got because basically she, she's almost doing it for free because I'm supplying everything. Right. And uh, so, I mean, she went to that, that pistol course that we did with Bob. And, uh, I'll tell you what, she was ringing steel better than most people there because guess what? She shot the living guts out of that, that, that revolver because she was shooting for free albums. Yeah, well, and again, the, the more you shoot, the better you shoot and the better you get at it. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was just one major point there. Is not only is it a hobby and, and things like that, but it's, there is a cost savings to a certain point. And then the cost savings, if they don't come up, it's because you're shooting more, which is not a bad thing either. Right. Well, you're shooting you're shooting two to three times as much for the same price, so it's a meet point. Yeah. Um, one little snippet I like to throw in whenever I talk to people about reloads is reloads are fine. They're, they're for practice. They're for training. Whether you're using a light load or a heavy load or whatever you're using, never, ever, ever carry reloads in a carry gun when you're on the street. Well, unless you want to bait a lawyer. Right, because that's an old Masada Yub thing that I learned back in back in the early 90s was yeah. not only did you have to, you know, it should something happen and you have to pull out your weapon and you have to shoot somebody, not only did you shoot them with this, you know, big evil black gun or whatever it is and, it, you know, and it had a bullet in it, you had to make special killer bullets. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, you're just, you're going to get, you're going to hang yourself if you do it. I mean, I don't even... I tell people, I was like, yeah, uh, defensive ammo is a dollar a bullet, theoretically, you know, when you're buying the 45 or even the 9mm, and they're only in 20, 25-round boxes, and you're going to pay a dollar a bullet, but you don't practice with them all that much. You use your practice ammo for that. You use all your just your dummy, your dumb, dumb full metal jackets and whatever for, for training. But carry, yeah. carry a defensive yeah. load. Now, in the meantime, like I said earlier, you can. I used to carry uh, Golden Sabres. And uh, I came to find out that you could actually buy the Golden Saber bullet. So I actually went out and bought like a, a box of 500 of those things and started working up a load to try and get the velocity uh, the same as, as what you get with the regular Golden Saber loads. Now, I came close. I didn't, I didn't get right there exactly, but I came within like 50 feet per second. So technically, I can practice with my defensive load technically because it's close enough. Right. And, and guess what? It's a whole lot less than a fucking bullet. Yeah. Well, and another point there is something I found out was that not only can you, are you making your rounds for cheaper than factory price, you can usually beat a factory load as far as grouping. 
Guaranteed. I mean, I, when I was doing it with a revolver, I was doing it fully rested and all that just to try to find it. Because when I'm trying to zero, and we'll go into this in a minute, how to zero a load, but I would take factory ammo and I could get a one and a half inch group with a 357 revolver, six inch barrel. But when I'm doing it, you know, and I'm and I get a load that I've made because the powder is within a tenth to two tenths of a grain every single round, it just I, I can I can cut the groups in half. Yeah, that's that's the, the one of the, the again the big another part about reloading is kind of like uh, the pride in I made this. Um, just like anything, if, if you know you know a lot of people go out and they, they they buy a gun and they shoot it and they say oh I've got you know thousand rounds of this I've never cleaned it type thing. Well, I, I'm kind of embarrassed by that. I I clean my guns every time I shoot them. Because uh, I have a certain amount of pride in, in, in what I do. The same thing with the ammunition. Uh, it's you know it's it's more consistent. Um, looks just as pretty, if not prettier, because it's nice shiny brass that I made. Um, and I can guarantee that. Well, like you say, <clears throat> when you shoot these things, you're probably let's say you were, you were going for uh, 850 feet per second. Guaranteed, you're going to be there plus or minus, you know, 10%. Guaranteed, maybe even less, depending on uh, the, the, uh, the consistency of, of the casings, the bullets, and the, and the primers. Well, maybe the primers are pretty consistent, but the casing and, 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 and the bullet. And you can actually get it even more. I mean, there's guys out there will weigh and trim the cases. They'll weigh the bullets. They'll do everything such that they get as perfectly... Uh, duplicated loads in every single one. And you can be as you know, OCD as you want about this. But guarantee whatever you make is going to beat store-bought. Yeah. With, get, with the exception of perhaps some of the high-end defensive rounds. Right. And, 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 stuff. and I talked to guys. Now, I never, I was always doing just straight casing pistol loads, uh, 9mm, 38-57-45. But I would talk to guys who were doing rifle ammo and I was using a powder thrower. Now, for people who aren't aren't in this yet, we'll just kind of go ahead and we'll go ahead and run through the different material you use. From you've gone to the range and you've been a range chicken and you've picked up a bunch of brass, yeah. and you got a bag of brass, and now you bring it home. Now, where do you go from there? Well, I mean, the first the first thing you do is you've obviously got some lucky, dirty looking brass because more than likely. It's been kicking around the dirt and whatnot. So the first thing you got to do, you got to clean it up. Um, there's several ways of doing that. Some people do it all fang dangled with ultrasonic cleaners, uh, you know, stainless steel uh, pins in, in liquid emulsions and stuff like this. But it can be as simple as you know uh, a vibratory cleaner with corn cob in it. Yeah, that's what I had. I just had a Lee a Lee tumbler. It was a big, probably a one quart bowl with corn cob in it and a little bit of chemical in there, and that was it. And 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 you know you dump in some of the some of that corn cob. What I have, I also put in a about uh, every three or four runs on that thing. I'll put in a cap full of new finish car polish. Right. And uh, that, that that and and also here's another tip: take some dryer sheets. Use dryer sheets. Cut them up into pieces like you know maybe four pieces line pieces per per sheet throw them in there and it'll catch a lot of the dust and dirt in it as well oh there you go that's a nice trick so yeah you pull them out and they're they're, they're pitch black they go in white they come out pitch black because they've captured a lot of the, the dirt and, 
crap that comes off the cases. But hey, after all that, basically, you've got tumbled brass. Now, some people like to decap the brass before they put it in there so they clean the primer pockets and stuff. Again, how OCD do you want to be? You can, you can do as much as you want. I personally don't care. Um, not for, I don't know about what you're, you're loading nowadays, but like for 45 ACB. If I feel like doing it, I'll decap it, but it's only because I'm going to eventually decap it anyway. Well, see, and when I did it, I started out with my first initial set of dies were steel dies, so I had to lube them and do all that other stuff. But what I come up with was steel dies, you think they're steel and you can't hurt them, but you can scratch them. So I always threw my brass in the tumbler first and cleaned them. And then I would uh, uh, size them and deprime them. And then once or twice, just because I had somebody telling me to do it, I threw them back in the tumbler. To clean to clean the well out because therefore I was never my shell my casings went into my dies clean. One one of the things that uh, the guys are doing nowadays is called uh, the LS LSD method, which is lemon shine and detergent. And uh, basically, you take uh, a little bit of the lemon shine cleaner, put it in warm water, and then you put uh, like a squirt of Dawn liquid in there. Throw your brass casings in that. You can deprime first if you want. You stick it in there, you shake it up, leave it overnight, get up the next morning, shake it up again, and rinse off with good clean water. And, uh, of course, we're here in Texas, so you can just lay them out blanket in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, like, you know, parking lot car shiny. Yeah. It's, like, absolutely gorgeous. So, again, you know what? You don't need to go out and get a tumbler. You don't need to go out and do all that stuff if you don't want to. There's ways of doing this. But anyway, that, that's basically what we're saying here is take a way to clean it, clean it. You, you really should because it will, even with the carbide dyes, you'll get schmutz up in there and you'll, you're getting dirt in around equipment. And, it, and it's precision equipment, to be honest. Right. So first thing you got to do, you got to clean it, period. Right? And uh, so, so that, so basically... Once you do that, be it either with ultrasonics or tumbling like we do and whatnot, you you get them out. And the thing is, is that once the uh, the, the round is fired, it expands out. The brass is, is malleable and expands out, seals into the chamber as the bullets are flying out the, the other end of it. So basically, it's it's out of spec for size. It's not you're not going to be able to rechamber it. And uh, it's probably stretched as well. Like if you're talking uh, rifle rounds, they, they absolutely do stretch out. So uh, now the, 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 the flat or the straight ball cases like 38 Special and 45, they, they, they normally don't, not very much anyway. And, and stuff like 45 ACP is such low pressure that you've really, really got to hammer it to get it to, to stretch out long enough to trim it. But anyway, uh, basically now you got you got to, if you have a decap, then by decapping it, I mean, you got to poke out the, the, the huge primer because it's still sitting there, right? So once you have it set up clean, you bring it over to your, your, your press, and you have a die in there, a sizing die, which will have a decapping pin in there as well if you have it decapped it, and it'll resize it. So once you do that, now really that's a lot of the physical effort that, that's required. The rest of it doesn't take much, actually. Okay, now let's stop there. Let, let, I want to devil into that a little deeper. Um, in the beginning, most people, the only carbide die you actually need, if you're going to run carbide, which I recommend, is the sizer. And all of this stuff, when you first get set up, you have to set these dies up. They don't come factory set. 
Correct. So you have to set them up so they deprime them, um, drops the primer, sizes the shell. Now the carbide is better because you don't have to use any lubricant. You just kind of want a clean shell. Now we're we're talking about straight case like straight right. old cases here, like pistol and and whatnot, and some and to a certain extent some. Uh, some rifle cases can do it as well. Like you can manage to do it with a forty-five seventy. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, thirty, yeah, and, and, and a, a thirty carbine, that kind of stuff. The only right. pistol round that, that comes to mind that to me is a wildcat is a three fifty-seven sig because it's a necked cartridge. Or that that silly uh, golly, what is it? That French one, the the one on the PS ninety round. What is that? Oh, the round. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I've seen it. Yeah, it's rifle and pistol, right? So. Yeah. So, so we so we were talking about you can start out with the steel dies. What I would recommend, you know, is that immediately get your dies and buy the carbide sizer immediately. It will cut out an entire step and a bunch of mess. Yeah, and all all the manufacturers uh, and, and you know the show like you know there's Lee, there's Hornady, there's RCBS, there's Redding, all those guys. You can go out and you can buy what we're talking about. There's going to be a set of dies required to do all this work. You can say, I want to reload 9mm. You can go out and you can buy the set of dies, carbide dies as well, so that what we're talking about here now, you get it in, in a kit. So it's not like you're having to match, you know, like if you get your car fixed, you don't have to match the tire to the rim to all that part. It comes in a kit. And it's a and it's a pretty it's a pretty cute little I had RCBS so there's little it's a little green box it's about the size of a good size sandwich yeah 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 and now what are they going for now I remember when I when I bought them they were I think I I think my my steel dies cost me I think they came with my kit or they were like forty or fifty bucks and then my carbide die alone was forty dollars they've gotten a little bit cheaper nowadays you can actually get the kit uh, I know. Uh, I got the the Lee nine millimeter kit, which is the four piece dies for I think it's thirty bucks delivered, like from oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not. You can I mean again, you want to go OCD with it? You can buy uh, you know the the the, the seating dies with the the micrometer dials on it, so you can have your seating to within a thousand, and those will run you anywhere upwards of a hundred bucks to one hundred and twenty bucks just for the seating die. Right. But, Again, you know what? If you're just getting into this, 30, 40 bucks gets you the, the, the basic die hardware to do it. Right. Okay. And, 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 they're, and they're all interchangeable. Like, we're, we're talking here now about this press and that press. Other than the Hornady lock and load system, all the presses, all the single-stage presses, and even most of the, uh, uh, the multi-stage presses, you can, they all have the same threading. So when you buy the die, you can use it. Rock, an RCBS rock trucker, you can use it in a single stage, you can use it in a Dillon if you want. Right. So it's most of this stuff that we're talking about is standardized anyway. Right. And and, and some something else that I, I don't I think that I don't want to I don't I'm trying not to forget anything because for people who've never done this they don't understand what it looks like. Um, once you get into this and you get running two or three different calibers, you say, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna reload nine millimeter and you pull out your nine millimeter dies and you've already preset those based on what you're doing, and you just run that. And then you unscrew them, you put them back in the box, and then, okay, now I'm going to run some 45, and you've already done those dies. So set up, once, you're, once all your stuff is tuned the way you want it, is you're set up and you're running in a matter of a minute or two. Yeah, 
and, and they're all they all they're all a little bit different um, on how they set up and run. There's like I said, the Hornady lock and load system has uh, uh, call-ups and callers and stuff that just you know it, it, it's basically a, a reset every time that it, it, it holds the setting no matter what you do. Uh, the other ones there may be a li- you're, you're going to have to tweak them every time because basically you're dealing with uh, screwing something into a thread, but. Uh, but like you say, you're, you're usually pretty darn close. Okay. Okay. So we covered we covered that we're gonna uh, size and uh, uh, deprime, or you call it decapping uh, the shell. Yeah. So we've cleaned and we've uh, sized and deprimed. Right. So now the next thing you got to do is uh, so you have your your shell, your casing. There's really two uh, components that cause the burn. It's the powder and the primer. So what we have to do now is we have to prime the case. So you can buy uh, primers in packs of, they're usually like a pack of 100. And it's usually like if you were to get the, I don't know, was it maybe two inches by two inches? It's a little pack, a little box. Yeah. Maybe a quarter of an inch thick. There will be 100 primers in there. Uh, When you buy a box of them, there's 1,000. So there's 10 of those packs. So you can go ahead and buy 1,000 primers. Uh, for about, I think it's about 30, 35 bucks maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, think about that. 35 bucks, that's, that's not a whole lot of ammo really when you think about it, but 35 bucks for a thousand rounds or, or a portion of the thousand rounds, it's pretty good. Right. So anyway, there's, the, the primers are, are, are different as well. There's pistol primers and rifle primers, and there's also small and large, and then there's normal and magnum. So you have to decide uh, what you're going to use and what round it's destined for. Like, obviously, you, you're shooting 357 Magnum. That's going to be a Magnum primer. Uh, and I believe, is it a small? I think it's a small primer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 357 was. And, and I, I'm not shooting 357 anymore. Now I'm running 45, which is a large pistol primer. Right. But the like the 9mm, I want to say, is a small pistol primer. Correct, yeah. So, and again, and it's even, uh, you can even get, you know, match grade primers and things like that. And, and then there's even like, uh, CCI makes a military grade primer, which is basically, uh, it's a little bit harder to go off. Uh, it's, people say it's a type of magnum primer, but other people say that there's something with the inner, the guts with the geometry that it basically requires a harder hit. For it to go off, which will prevent slam fires in M1As and Grands and things like that. Right. Um, so again, you just have to decide what are you loading. I mean, let's let's stick with nine millimeters since we're doing that. Uh, so you got your nine millimeter, you got your case done and sized, right? But get yourself some uh, uh, small pistol primers, and it doesn't matter. You can do CCI, Federal, uh, Winchester, Remington. It's all it's all big name stuff, right? Uh, and then you you, you have to stick the primer in, in, in the primer pocket in, in the, the bottom of the bullet. And how did you do that, Joe? Did you do it with a separate piece, or did you do it with the press? I did it with the press. Now, I had a guy that uh, at, the, at the gun shop, and he did it with a little a little hand deal, where he right. just, he's got, a, he's got a little tray, I don't know, eight inches across maybe, and all the primers were in it. But uh, he had this little tray, and he'd shake it, and the primers would write themselves. And then all he'd do is, 
it would he would squeeze the thing and it would it would drop a primer into the little primer feed and he'd put a shell on there a casing and he'd just squeeze it once and it would prime it and he'd move it and he'd, he was pulling out of one basket and throwing in another right. and he just he said he'd just sit in front of the TV for hours and prime casings. Yeah, it's it's pretty mindless work. It's it's uh, something that you know it's one of these things. I remember somebody kind of um, on the forums or. Uh, Kind of screamed at me. How can you be watching? Because I'm sitting in my reloading room and I had a hockey game up on the TV. And they're, they're they're yelling at me. First of all, what the hell are you doing watching hockey? You're in Texas. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's 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 a real man's sport. We'll leave it at that. And uh, we we I said, look, this this is mindless. This is you know, it goes in one way. If if it doesn't go in, then it's going in wrong, and you take that case and you chuck it to the side and you look at it afterwards. Right. Otherwise, you just keep on doing it. And really, it's kind of like that with, with sizing as well. As long as you've got the, the die set up, you can sit there and be watching the movie just cranking it in the press, one after the other. It's what I call mindless uh, prep work, and it's, it's the stuff I hate, but it's, you know, some of the things that you have to do. Right. So, yeah, I've, I've done that. I've got the, uh, uh, the RCBS hand tool uh, that you can put a tray of 100 primers in there, and it's like you say, they're flipped the correct uh, correct way. I think facing uh, which way do they face? They face uh, down, right? Because then they slide into the hole. When you squeeze your hand, there's a little ram that comes up and pushes it up into the primer pocket. Right, pushes it up and usually flattens it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the uh, I mean, there's all kinds of systems. There's uh, RCBS makes a real neat one where it's got like a a little arm that rocks back and forth and drops a primer into a, into a little a little uh, cup, which then when you bring the the handle down, it drops the case in there and, and primes it. And it's you know it's it's pretty neat. Now again, hundred ways to skin a cat. However you want to do it. Some of the most of the presses have some method of priming on the press as well. So if you don't want to spend another thirty bucks on a uh, priming tool, well, like the the RCBS Rock Chugger. Uh, has a little part in there that kind of flips a little tray or a little arm uh, below the, the shell plate holder so that when you push the, uh, the, the the arm of the press forward, it pushes the case down, and then, of course, with the primer sitting there, the primer gets jammed up into the, uh, the, the primer pocket. Yeah, now so, the, the hand tool that you mentioned, the big plus side that I'd always heard, and again, I didn't use it, but... In your case, you have to be if, if you if you don't have the hand tool, you have to be sitting in your reloading room with a press doing it. Yeah. So the nice part about the hand tool is you can sit in the living room with your wife, sitting there watching your favorite hockey game or whatever, and you just sit there and just if she can get past the hearing of the tink of you know a couple hundred shells you know casings hitting you know hitting a basket. Yeah. You can do that anywhere you want. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's a good point. Uh, you know, this this is part of the reason why I got a reloading room, so I get the heck out of everybody's way and do this uh, on my own time. But anyway, that's that's a whole other thing. Uh, but anyway, basically, there's 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 several ways and several methods to prime, and you know, it's it's you will get the feel for it. Uh, you you get these tools in your hands, and and you stick a shell case there, and you go to prime with the hand tool. And you will feel the pressure and the little pop, like you're popping a zit in, in your finger, you know? Right. And you will get to know that feeling. So you can, you can be there mindlessly just putting that in there, and you will feel it 
out of your hand is if one of the primers is upside down right. or going in sideways. You will physically feel it. Right. Uh, again, practice, you know, just like anything else. But uh, anyway, so that, basically now you have, you have a prime casing, prime shell that you're ready to, to start working with. Uh, and generally speaking, I like to get all this stuff out of the way. I like to clean, size, and prime hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases. So that, because that, that's the dreary, boring, pain in the rear work. So I'll have hundreds of cases, you know, like, like this afternoon I had like 545 cases sitting there in a pile. They're all ready to go. Right. right now, Bill. I hate doing it. Yeah, and then there, the only thing I like to tell people is when you do that, you have to have, one keep these prime casings in a cool, dry area um, because you because you've already added a component, which would be the primer. You have to know which component that is. You cannot mix and match a CCI small pistol primer with a Remington small pistol primer. They're going to act different. Well, you can if you don't care. Again, how OCD do you want to get, right? Well, to me, I, I've always thought that it changes to zero because one primer may be a little hotter than the other and vice versa. Yeah, it's an OCD thing. Yeah, yeah. Again, if, if you're working up a load, and that's that's uh, part of the jargon here, that, again, you can have, you know, federal cases, CCI number, what's the 250 primers or whatnot, and uh, type of powder and the type of bullet, all this stuff weighed to the you know plus or minus 0.2 grains or something. Um, you can do all that. I personally, I don't for my plinking rounds. I just grab a handful of brass, and the only reason that the primers are all the same is because that's the box to haul down. Right. You know? So, but yeah, you you are correct. The, the, the some of the primers. Uh, do burn a little differently, a little bit hotter, a little bit harder, and, and things like that. So uh, you can, you absolutely can sort them out. There's no reason not to if you want to do it. Uh, but anyway, once once you have that done, now you've got basically you're ready to load, for lack of a better description. And the next the next step is to to, to drop a powder charge, and and basically this is what's going to go off. From uh, the prime after the primary ignites, the primary ignites the powder, which goes off, which expands, which makes gas, which increases the pressure, which then you know pushes the bullet down the barrel. Now, this is where uh, the the preparation and safety comes into play. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, having multiple references and, and checks and things like that. Uh, there's there's many stories, and you've probably seen pictures of, you know, guns practically exploded in people's hands and uh, whatnot. And, and, and this is one of the inherent dangers of, of doing this if you're not careful. Uh, I've never had it done. I've never seen it happen. Um, I've had a squib load, uh, which for anybody who doesn't know, it's basically it's not enough charge to get the, the bullet down the barrel. So you'll get which is very unhealthy as well because you'll have the projectile stuck down the barrel and if you're shooting a semi-automatic and you pull that trigger again when another rag is sold into the chamber, guess what's happening? Yeah, your barrel's blowing up. <laughs> you're going to get a real big surprise, right? Yeah. So, uh, again, this is this is a big part. This is this is where you definitely do not want to be watching the hockey game. You want to be paying attention to what you're doing. Uh, 
get, uh, uh, Joe, I don't know about you, but I would usually reference at least two loads, two load books, uh, because they, they're, they're all about the same. And normally, uh, if it's a new caliber or something I'm tinkering with, I'll usually start right in the middle. So if it says between four to six grains of bullseye powder for my 45 ACB, I start at five. Uh, it's right in the middle. You know, why not? can't hurt. Yeah, and my way of doing it was a little different. The guy that kind of talked me through it, you know, let's use your four to six grains of powder for this load. I would start at about, like like you, I would start at about 4.4, and then I'd do my next, my next I'd do in like six, six round loads. So it'd be six rounds of 4.4, then I'd do six rounds of 4.6, 4.8, all the way up to, you know, whatever it was, 5.6 or whatever. And I would document each of these on a fresh target, each of these six round sets. And what people, what, what you're going to see is the, you're going to end up with maybe a four, six inch group. And you're not worried about where you're hitting on the target as much as you're worried about the group. Right. And the group will shrink and then the, and then it will hit a point and the group will open back up. Right. And what I would do is I would grab the three center, the three center loads that gave me the best group. And then I would drop them down to the tenth of the grain, and it, you're right; it was typically right in the middle. Yeah, the, uh, there's there's a there's a process I think it's called uh, OCW, optimal charge weight. You can look it up online, and uh, basically it's it's doing what you're talking about, where you take a spread and you go, okay, uh, this particular charge worked best, or can it get any better? So I'll vary that one a little bit up and down. Right. Right. And eventually you'll 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 keep wearing that uh, that charge to a more exact charge weight. So you'll start at you know four point four plus or minus 0.5 grains. And it'll be you know four point I don't know four six was what you like. So you go four point four six plus or minus 0.2 grains, and you'll keep on whittling down your your spread until you get to what is what is an optimal charge for that particular firearm. Right. So people can go look that up. It's just called optimal charge weight. And uh, it's a whole process. You know, fortunately, it takes a whole bunch of shooting, so it requires lots of range trips, right? So that's good. Yeah, see, that's where I'm spoiled. I've got my own range, so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... We're 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 talking right there. We talked about the zeroing of the load and how much powder you're going to use. And again, we're going we're using the books for this. Right. Okay. Now there's multiple methods to throw powder. Yeah. I I don't know. Again, I don't know about you, uh, but when I first started, I, I actually had a progressive press that I set up as a single stage initially. So I would, you know, load load the uh, the brass and I'd size them all. But I would, you know prime them all and then I would charge them all and whatnot. Where whereas with, with some of the press systems you can do it all in one fell swoop if you need to. But let's consider that we're still doing this one stage at a time. You can, there's there's several ways of doing it. You can do it, you know, mechanically or you can do it uh, with volumetrics. The most straightforward way of doing it, you've probably seen them, the uh, the lead dimmer cups. You seen those? Yeah, I always kind of thought those were, those were more for shotgun. What I used to do was I used to just have my scale and a trickler, 
yep. little hourglass trickler, and you just roll your finger across the little wheel, and it would. The faster you went, the faster the powder went. When I got close to where I wanted to, my it would tilt my little scale and put me right where I wanted. And yeah. I would hand throw the, my zero loads when I was zeroing a load, and then once I got my load zeroed and I liked it, then I would use a powder thrower, right. which is a long tube, and it just you you have to play with it and get it where where it matches up with your scale and then i would throw five or ten and measure one throw five or ten and measure one yeah and when you and first again, this this just depends again how old cd you want to be right uh, if, to, if it was a plinking round so i don't care well <laughs> yeah to me pistol pistol rounds once you get a pistol round set up other than just the safety of checking them you know every 20 or something 10 20 rounds that's fine now when you get into rifle rounds yeah, I, I'm. I, you're talking about wanting to hit something at two to eight hundred yards away. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trickle every one of those. Now, this is this is this is a good point uh, right here. This is one piece of equipment. There's a couple of pieces of equipment you do not want to spring drop. For the love of God, get yourself a sensible scale. Uh, in fact, get two. Get uh, get a manual one. Uh, get a regular, you know, uh, beam scale. Right. And, and an electronic one. And uh, you can also buy from RCBS is, is one of the places that I get, you can get what they call calibration weights. Uh, you, they, they range these little pieces of metal that range from, I think it's 0.2 or 0.5 grains all the way up to like uh, 50 grains. So you can see for sure uh, when you drop 5 grains, or, or let's say 40, let's say you're dropping 46 grains of target for your, your 308 load. You can actually make sure that uh, what your scale is telling you is there is truly what's there by using those calibration weights. Right. Uh, and fortunately, I, I haven't had to fuss with it. But if your if your scales are off, you end up having to, to kind of use a little bit of math to, to, to ratio it to suit. Right. But it's ultra important here, guys, that you have good scales, and and that's both. Uh, and I and I recommend getting a, a regular. And, you know, uh, old-fashioned bean scale, uh, as well as, you know, one of the good electronic ones. And it's it's going to cost you, but you can use it for everything you're doing. Everything, from, from weighing cases and bullets and, and charges for every single caliber. So yeah. do not scrimp on your scales. Yeah, see, I started out with the little, like you said, the little beam scale, because it was part of my kit. and I But I was zeroing loads, so it was fine, and I was really trying to get nitpicky on it. And then once I got all of my dies zeroed and all my charges, and I created a little book, my little reloading book that had all of my loads in it. And once I had that down, then I went ahead and I bought the digital scale just for testing. So I could throw one and set it over there to the side while it was zeroing out and checking itself out. I'm throwing more shells. Um, my powder thrower. So, yeah, when you start out real slow, and then you start getting into more faster mass production. Um, I just had the rock chucker, the RCBS rock chucker. And now me and Dave are looking at uh, either doing a Lee Progressive or a Dylan. Yeah, I bought a I bought a Dylan there last year, and it's quite it's quite thrilling. I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> so because I, I I like you I, I kind of started with a single stage and I got a Hornady or a lock and load, and uh, it was it was it was kind of buggy for me. I mean that's, that's not saying anything bad for for Hornady. They're they're, they're a nice rate. But I, I used to frustrate me a little bit, so I was like, no, I'm just going to, no, no pun intended, bite the bullet, and I ran out and I popped right. the, the, the Dylan. And, and again, just as an exa- example, this afternoon I spent about 
uh, including setup and cleanup afterwards. In three hours, I did 500 rounds, 45. Yeah. Uh, God bless it. You know? <laughs> it was like it just makes life easier. Yeah. Once you once you get it set up and yeah. So. Okay. Anyway, anyway, the the yeah the, the the there's there's multiple ways of doing it. Um, what I also do, I I got sick and tired. Like you you trickle, I do trickle as well. But I got sick and tired of you know taking me an hour to do 20 shells. So what I did, I went out and bought the RCBS electronic one that that spits out the power to the weight. So what I do then is, is let's say again, let's get back to, to, to Logan for 308. If I'm doing 46 grains, I will set it up to spit out to 45 grains. And then I will trickle the last grain. But it does it automatically. Right. So while you're trickling the grains for the next round, it's loading up, it's throwing the next set of, of, of powder. Right. And uh, it is, oh man, it is awesome. It's just like the best. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's 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 many ways of doing it. At the end of the day, you're 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 looking for a specific weight of powder, and everybody needs to understand that. With again, let's say 308. There's how many types of bullets? There's got to be 20 different types from uh, full metal jacket to soft points, and then there's you know. They started once it was 110 grains is, is the lightest bullet. I think get 308 up to 200, is it? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big 308 guy. Yeah, maybe. I think it's like 200 grains. So, you know, all of those bullets require different charges. And in fact, the lighter bullets prefer a different type of powder. So this is where, again, you got to be paying attention and 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 using your reference material you know your books again I, I don't know about you but whenever I do a set of reloads if it's not something that's tried and true I'll have at least three of them right on the, on the bench here and and, and they, everything is different everybody will say something different and of course the internet knows everything apparently but you really have to be kind of on top of your game when it comes to this so keep in mind that you know, uh, standard 150 grain or 147 grain full metal jacket 308 round is not going to be the same charge, maybe not even the same powder as the 168 grain match bullet. Right, right. So that, that's another thing to keep in mind here is not only are you paying attention to the powder and the weight you're using, but how it goes to or goes with that particular bullet. So anyway... So yeah. you, you drop the charge, and like I said, you can do it either with powder cups. You can trickle it out onto beamed, uh, beam uh, scales. You can uh, use electronic dispensers, uh, which is kind of what I use mostly nowadays, things like that. Or in a progressive press, there's a lot of powder drops. Like the Dillon, I'll tell you what, that Dillon, uh, I was getting it to drop five grains of bullseye, and uh, it was doing it every time. Every time. I, I did about... Uh, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30, and I'd stop and I'd check. And I'd check four, like three or four in a row, and they would all be at five grains. So then I'd do 100. And then I'd check it again, another couple in a row, and I'm still holding five grains. I did 500 rounds of 45, and it held five grains. Yeah, see, that's like when they actually, yeah, they hold like that. But, but again, like you said, you know, 
like Dave does, you can get a Virgo moment, and you know you, you're going to check a whole lot just to make sure that you get it right because this <laughs> this stuff is serious. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You have to you have to kind of have faith in yourself. You have have to have earned faith in the equipment, uh, things like that. And stuff breaks, right? This is all mechanical stuff, right? Uh, and you have to check it for safety's sake. Right, right. And and it even gets to the point where. Uh, let's say if I do a hundred rounds, every single round I will chamber check with uh, with a little case gauge, but I will randomly grab them as well and put them on again, put them on my scale. Now I know that the bullets and the casings and everything are going to be a little bit of different weight, but if I put one on there and I zero the scale, and I put another one on there and it's within you know plus or minus one and a half grains, yeah, right. and now if I put another one on there. And it's minus, you know, seven grains. You go, hold on now. Guess what? That one gets moved aside. Yeah, see, and in, in, in doing that, I have actually, and I think anybody who has done enough reloading has screwed up and double charged. <laughs> I've done that where I'm, I'm, I'm running them through a tray, and in my little hand tray, I would, I would only do every other slot, so therefore I had space to do everything I needed to do. And I'd always sit there and I'd shake them and I'd look at them before I went to start putting the bullet heads on. I'm like, ooh, something's up with that one. Yeah. And you got to dump them. I've never yeah. fired one, but I've, I've double charged a couple. Yeah, yeah. Now, again, there's there's systems with the Dillon that help prevent that, but uh, that that's that's for another discussion. But uh, but anyway, so you've decided on what you're going to charge, so you've dumped your charge in there. You're, you, for lack of a description, you've you put the stuff in there that's going to make make it all go bang. Uh, so now you, you've, let's, uh, if we're talking about pistols, you kind of have to do uh, a secondary prep to the case. You have to flare the the case mouth a little bit. Basically, the before the bullet can go in there, uh, you have to kind of flare the case mouth out a bit so that the bullet can actually be jammed down in the case. If you don't, uh, you're going to shave the edge off the bullet and maybe even uh, crush the, the case sides because things are, are pretty snug. Again, but that that will be included in the kit that you brought. Yeah, I think mine, I think the way I had mine set up, I think it was, and this has been a few years now, I think it was clean, size and D-prime was the next stage, um, and I think it was flare after that, and then it was prime. And I might have those backwards. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I've done that. I've done that where I forgot. To, I got to flare them. And, yeah, yeah and, and the bullet goes in and it rips half the casing apart. <laughs> yeah. So, but, I mean, that's, that's again, that, that doesn't really take much effort. It's, it's Once it's set, it's it's not a super-duper exact science. You, you just need a, just barely enough of the like, flare on the case so you can lay the bullet on there and it doesn't tip off. Right, uh, and, and and again, this is an experience that you just kind of have to look and try. And it's uh, a feel thing, like you said earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you so, got when you get when one goes bad, you feel it. <laughs> yeah. So once you got that done, basically you can take your bullet and lay it on top of your case. Now you have to seat the bullet. And again, this is this is a, a very important stage because uh, you want the bullet seated to a certain depth so that number one, it's not too long because if it's too long. If you have a semi-automatic uh, firearm, it's not going to fit in the magazine. It's not going to feed. It won't chamber, right? Yeah, you won't get it. You won't get it in the battery. So uh, it has to be, you know, there's a maximum length. Uh, again, this will be in the book. In these 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 books that you bought, 
all this information that we're talking about, the you know, charges and and lengths and diameters and weights and stuff like this, it's all in those books. So nobody needs to panic. You can just sit down and spend a weekend reading up on this stuff and all this gobbledygook we're talking about. There are numbers for it, and uh, they're 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 in black and white, and it'll tell you maximum cartridge length, COL, cartridge overall length, is such and such. Do not exceed. Right. The same thing with the case. Right. Case case length, trim length, has got to be this amount. So the, all of this stuff is 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 tried and true, and and to specification, you're not reinventing the wheel. You just have to be careful about what you're doing. So what you do now is you, you have another die, so you take your, your flaring die out and you put your bullet seating die in. And basically you, you, you screw that into the press, you stick your bullet on top of the, the case and you push the, the case up into this die and there's a little header in there that basically pushes the bullet into the case. So you'll take it out and here's the other important piece of equipment, a set of calipers, right? Get yourself a decent set of calipers. You will use them forever. If they're good, they will last you a long time, and they will be accurate. And you'll measure the length overall of the thing from the base of the, the, the case to the to the nose of the bullet. And that has to be within the specification what's listed in, in the reloading books. Right. Now, something else is when you're seating that bullet, um, some, some bullets actually have a neck on them or a little ribbed edge, and the bullet will actually crimp into that. Yeah. So that just that that and that just in, in, ensures you have a proper seat. Yeah. The uh, so basically once once and it may, this is going to be a trial and error thing. You'll go say I want my my forty five to be one point two five five and you, you you stick it in there once and you measure it's like one point five two. Well, that's way too much. So you'll dial the die in a little bit. You'll push the the, the case up into the die, pull it back down. You'll remeasure it. You'll get close and close, and eventually you should get it nuts on them. At which point you go, I'm set. Now, there's a lot of dies out there that will also do a second process, which is called crimping. And basically what you're doing, you're, you're, you're uh, forming the uh, brass around the bullet a little bit snug and pushing the edge of the open mouth into the bullet a little bit. You're, you're grabbing on, and the whole purpose of this is that you get... Uh, consistent tension between the bullet and the case. Right. I mean, there's other, there's other reasons for it. I always put a very, no matter what I'm doing, I always put a very, very, very light crimp. Uh, there are certain rounds that do require a heavy crimp. Uh, I shoot 4570. Uh, that requires a crimp because those suckers can jump. Uh, right. But even even on a full metal jacket 45, which is not really, I don't believe it's necessary. I always put a little bit in it, just for consistency. Right. So, and some of the dies that, that, that they have, like the lead dies, they do indeed do both of these steps in, in one step. So you can crimp and seat the bullet all in one fell swoop. I won't get into how that goes on, but you can set it up. And once you've got it set up, you just start sticking a charge case in there, put a bullet on it, crank it down, you're done. Yeah, my RCBS, that's what it did, was it... It, it, it seated and crimped. Yeah. Now, now, I, I usually do crimping as a separate step. Uh, I have what they call the fa factory crimp die. So I pull the die back so it does not crimp, but I just seat, and then I crimp afterwards. Uh, to me, I just prefer to do it that way. Again, it's 
however the heck you want to do it. How, how OCD do you want to be? I'm kind of OCD about a crinkle. Right. Uh, but basically after that, Joe, you're good. Uh, you have to obviously take measures uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, look at the round, make sure that the, the primer is still set back in, in the primer pocket, but it's not pushed out. You look and you make sure that, you know, the, the case looks good, that you didn't split the, the wall of the case in some stupid move. Because um, that happens. It's, you know, the bullet goes in a little, you know, five or ten degrees off kilter, and it'll push out the side of the case. And some people even have, like I have them, every caliber I have, I have what they call a chamber gauge. And, uh, or, uh, what the heck, is it a chamber gauge or chamber measuring? It's not a measuring tool. Basically, it's, it's a little chunk of steel with, uh, the chamber of whatever round you're using built into it. So you can drop your 45, your 308 finished round in there, and it'll fit in there just as though it's a, uh, in the rifle or the pistol. Right. And I, I check every one of those. I know it sounds mind-numbing, and it is, but I've never had a problem. So once you've done all that, technically you have a route that's good to go. Okay, and now now something else that I think I think is an important part is when you box this ammo up, you know, you've got this bucket of ammo when you're done, hopefully, and you go to box it up, one of the old-school reloading rules is each box has to actually have all of the ingredients, the measurements, everything written on it. Yeah, yeah. So um, you've you got to document that. Yeah, you do. There's, you know, I, I do it on, on a spreadsheet, and then I have labels that I, that I write on my boxes. Um, you want to do it in a book, uh, in, a, in a binder on your desk, same thing. But, you know, it, it, it kind of lets you know, when was it done? How was it done? What did you use? And and the important thing about this, Joe, is, and you know this too, you'll go and you'll shoot and you go, oh, wow, that sucks. You know? Uh, and you go was, back, and, and, but you can go back and look and see what you did different. Yeah. And you go, huh, okay, guess I won't be using federal primers anymore, you know, that type of thing. Uh, yeah. That was the only difference. Yeah, see, that, that was my thing. Once I zeroed a load, I always used the same primer for every, you know, for that load consistently. And if I couldn't get primers, I just didn't get it. Or I'd work up a load with the other one, and if I couldn't get these, I'd run those and whichever. Right, right. And again, this is this is one of the beauties of reloading that uh, you can blame something else other than yourself. Yeah. Now, now back to something else you said early on was the pride in reloading. Um. I don't think it, it applies as much with pistol, which maybe to some people it does, as it does to rifle. Yeah. But I can see it with rifle really big, is that you go out, and I don't care if you're hunting a, a deer, a fox, a caribou, whatever, a moose. You started from components, built your bullets, made your shot, dropped your animal... You did all of this completely on your own. Yeah. You know, you had a rifle with all of its different components. So you took all of these components, and from start to finish, you did this. And, and you know what, Joe? Let's take it even a step further. You made the, uh, uh, you, you used the 4570, so you made your own black powder, and you made the bullet. You cast yeah. the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, technically, the only thing that you had to buy then was the primer. Yeah. Yeah. If you can, if you have the ability to do that, most people don't, uh, but a lot of people do. And and to be honest, you can cast uh, bullets for for darn near any any caliber if, if you really want to. And a lot of guys, 
Uh, I don't know if you've seen it lately, but a lot of guys are using powder coating on their bullets uh, so that they can load them up to higher pressures and not foul up their gas systems, right. up their ARs and stuff. So right. There's there's ways around this where you can you can make you know ninety percent of the stuff yourself. Yep. So and, and then you you know you re- well just like you said at the beginning of the show you said you know we're being a range chick and going around while well, you're recycling that brass. Uh, for people that aren't going to use it anymore, and you're—I don't know how many times you you reload stuff, but I know for a fact I'm looking at one box here, and this is the sixth time I've reloaded this brass for 45. Yeah, so. now there, there's a point, and a problem I had had at one point was it's not worth looking at dirty brass. Go ahead and throw your brass in your tumbler or however you're cleaning it, and get it out. And when you get it out, I used to just sit there in front of the TV and I just grab a shell and I just look at it and then toss it over to the side and look at the next one and I would start finding shells or casings that were bad had cracks in them looked yeah. deformed and those just go in the trash if somebody really wants to start off basic Joe might I suggest uh, that they get a uh, Lee Classic Reloader those kits that you could use basically if you got uh, a, a, a plastic mallet and a piece of 2x4 you can do it Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you can carry it in your truck. Yeah, and and if you just want to try it, I mean, it, it's kind of slow, but you know what? Even even those little sets will give you a round that is still more consistent than that. Yeah, we've, uh, we we started looking up here. We've got a gun store out here by the lake, and we were just in there just perusing guns one day, and they had a, a Lee Progressive kit for like $150, without the dies and then the guy had all the dies for like forty dollars a box. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, we we need to get back into this and right now I think I think now now how are components right now? I mean, that was our kind of our, our break point was like, okay, if we get the all the stuff that's great, but can you find components? How I mean I know you're down you're down in the Houston San Antonio area. So how are components to find? Everything with the exception of powder is around somewhere. It may not be the regular store that I go to. Uh, if I go out and if I want to get, you know, my, my CCI primers or my uh, Sierra Match King bullets or whatever, I, I may end up having to go to one or two places to get it on the way home. Uh, powder is like hen's teeth. Uh, it's very hard to get. What I usually end up doing is going online to uh, one of the online guys and I'll back order it and I'll you know, order you know, five pounds of it and I'll back order it. Yeah. You know, in three or four months, I'll get it. Uh, but it's it's very difficult to find, especially the, the more popular powders like uh, Bullseye and Bargain. You know, those are the go-to powders for uh, 45, 38. A lot of the pistol calibers of Bargain is for many, many, many other rifle pounds. It works for damn near anything that I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, good luck finding those. <laughs> difficult to find. So if, if you're going to get into this, you need to have uh, sources. I mean, I mean that in plural. Well, you need to have places around town where you can stick your, your nose in every blue moon and, and also at least three or four places online uh, to order. And keep in mind, too, that if you order this stuff online, uh, let's say uh, a can of or a, a pound of variety is 30 bucks. There's a $27 hazmat fee gets chucked out of that, too. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is why you need to buy it in bulk 
Yeah. If you're going to buy it online. Yeah. Now, something else, to, you know, for people who are just thinking about the whole idea of reloading is check out your Goodwill stores and all that for the books. Yeah. I mean, you can get the books, you know, for a couple bucks. You know, or if you happen to be in a gun store and you see one, you know, look through it. It'll, I mean, and here's something I'd like you to do, Mark, is, is, is when you, when we complete the interview, send over a, just give me a shot of, you know, of the 45 ACP or the 9mm for a book. Just to show, because what people don't understand is they're going to list five powders in a graph and the different chamber and the different velocities and pressures or whatever. And so you're looking, when you open a page and you look at, you know, a 230 grain 45 ACP bullet, they're going to show you five different five different powders and the measurements and they show you the velocity differences. Keep in mind, too, uh, it's for the benefit of the powder manufacturers to make that information available. So you can get this online as well. You can uh, you know, go to Alliant right. or, Hon- or Hogden or whoever, and they will have you know, some information online. So, you know, again, you can use it as a cross-reference. You can have a book for books and then look and see what the manufacturer says. Right, like I said, you know that's that's exactly a good point because you know they're trying to sell their stuff, so they're going to make it as, as as easy to get as possible. Uh, the, most of the books that I've found are all made by the bullet manufacturers themselves. Yeah. Um. So they're they're like, hey, if you want to use our bullet, here's the book for it. But yeah, yeah, with I I to me, I think if you had three reloading books, you're good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got more, that's fine. And then there's, the, remember, I remember there, there was the old Shooter's Bibles, and it yeah. was a big old book, and it showed catalogs of all these guns. Well, they got Reloader Bibles, too. The one thing that I should mention, too, here, and you, and you understand this, is that most of the stuff we're talking about here is pistol-related. Right. Uh, rifle is a, a whole different ballgame. And, and if somebody was getting into reloading, and they had the choice... I would start off with pistol, and I would start off with one of the common rounds first, like 45, 9, 38 special, something... Straight neck, straight casing. Yeah. Yes, try to stay away, stay away from this 357 SIG, because if you can do that, you can do rifle. Yeah, and then the rifle, I mean, I, I was doing uh, 45 for probably the better part of a year before I ventured into rifle, because rifle is a bit more uh, involved. And you're you're dealing with some really really big pressures and and, and, and tight tolerances as compared to uh, a lot of the pistol cases. So it requires a little bit more uh, experience. But uh, well, I'm not trying to scare anybody off. But if you have the choice, try the pistol first. Yeah. See, I never I never did get into rifle because I wasn't ready and I was I was in the service. I was moving around too much. But yeah, I mean, when you get into rifle, you're dealing with with where the shoulder is, where the neck is, what the length is. Now you got to trim casings, and yeah. it was a lot of stuff I really wasn't ready for at the time. So I'd always done just straight neck pistols. But the thing, the thing about it is that how we were talking about how you save money. This is where it really gets pronounced because once you uh, tweak a load, uh, basically you've made a match round for your rifle. Go right. Out, go out someday. Just go to Midway or Cabela's or something anywhere at all. Look up uh, a Nosler 30 cal match grade round for whatever. I bet you it's about two bucks a bullet. Yeah. If you're reloading from brass that you've already once fired, uh, you're, you're nowhere near that. And you will, you will once you tweak the load, 
and match the primer and all that good stuff, you will keep up with those big fancy rounds. Yeah, because I, I, I can't, I mean, I, when I was shooting and I was, well, when I was doing all the reloading, yeah, it was nothing for me to go down and, I mean, I, I think that I was into it for maybe $20 and shoot hundreds of rounds. <laughs> because, I mean, well, let's take it for instance, you're there in your reloading room, uh, grab a caliber and let's just say, you know, what is, what is a box of 100 or 200 bullet heads run? Well, let, let, let's, let's say, like, because I, I know I did 45 this afternoon, right? So, Winchester White Box is usually about 27, 28 bucks plus tax. Let's call it 30 bucks, okay? So, if it's 30 bucks for Winchester White Box, now the primers, I think, are about 35 per thousand. Let me get my calculator out here. So, 35 per thousand, so three and a half cents each. Uh, the powder, bullseye powder, I think I bought it at about 20 bucks per pound. Uh, there's 7,000 grains per pound. I'm going all engineer on here. Excuse me for a second. Virgo moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> so that means for every five grains of charge, is about one cent per case. So that's three and a half cents for the primer. And, assu- and assuming that you, this is a once fired case, so you've, you're, you're keeping your brass, right? Right. Basically, you're talking uh, is that 20, 26 cents each. Now, these are pretty high prices, by the way. Compared to what they used to be, so you're talking about uh, 26, 27, 29, say 30 cents, 29.5 cents each, times 50 cases is about 14, 15 bucks. So it's right off the bat, tap price, and that's with today's inflated prices. Right, and then you're also talking about something that you know is going to beat a factory load. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 my brass is going to be so much prettier than that garbage. And that's and that's per hundred. Well, that's per. I'm, I'm talking about fifty here. This is okay. a fifty case is what you get with forty five, right? So fifty, like I said, Winchester white box is about twenty eight, thirty bucks for just Winchester white box. Now this is just kind of generic stuff. Right. And I can get almost the equivalent of you know damn near match grade almost. Yeah. Uh, for about half that. Yeah. For 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 fifty. And that's, again, that's just, I'm just eyeballing costs here. I'm not, I'm not, you know, going in specific anything. Because once you get into those panic costs, right, everything has gone up. Not only just the ammunition, but the components. Oh, yeah, people are hoarding components just like like they're hoarding the ammunition. Right, so when you can find it, it's still kind of inflated. So I'm positive that, uh, especially if you buy in bulk, I mean, if you buy... You know, 10 pounds of powder, you know, 20,000 primers or 30,000 primers and things like that. I'm sure you can get that down to the better part of 10 bucks per box of 50. So now you're down to a third the cost. Right, right. And, and, and again, you know what? This is the one thing that I always tell people is that they say, well, why do you do it? And it's, you know, it's costing the same thing. So you know what? When this big ammo panic was going on, it had no effect on me. I made my own. Right. I could still go to the range. Remember when, uh, uh, right at the beginning of this, this whole panic, good Lord, I mean, there was nothing anywhere. And I was, again, I was still going to the range. I was throwing 308 and 45 down range like I didn't care, man. Yep. I had, I'd show up with like about four or five bags worth of, of 308 and just shoot the snot out of my FAL for, for giggles. Yeah. And, and it, I didn't care because it was it was cheap. 
and I was going to reload it anyway. So I had more ammo waiting for me. It just was sitting in components at, in my reloading room. Yeah. So that, that's the other thing about this is that if, if, if you're kind of ready for it, that's the same thing with the preparedness mindset in general, uh, that if you're ready for it and you've, you've slowly but surely stopped yourself, then you've kind of insulated yourself against anything that, that, that happens. And, and this is a good good point here is that if you make your own, you don't have to worry about having to go into the store and, and buy ammunition. Right. Now here's something. Here's here, here's a funny point that I went over and uh, Dave, Super Dave's all working on his garden and he's all excited and I went over and looked and man, it's, it's beautiful. I just, I like, you so suck. Because I, I always started out with, I started out with a big garden and he, he's, he saw all my mistakes. But he had a funny comment to me today and it goes into what we're talking about here. And he says there's hard preppers and soft preppers. And he, I kind of had him had him define that to me. A soft prepper just stocks up, okay, on food or bullets. Right. A hard prepper goes a step beyond, and they grow their own food and they make their own bullets. <laughs> because when the when the when the supply is used up, you're just screwed. Yeah. Okay, but if you're growing your own food or if you're making your own bullets, they can't really slow you down or stop you much. Yeah, and I know yeah. you know the gardening goes a little farther than the reloading would, but the theories there are still the same. Is that if you can do it yourself consistently long term, you're not waiting on supply. Yeah, and, and again, it's one of these things that, that you know everybody talks about, and, and, and you and Bob and everybody you know playing have a skill, any skill doesn't matter. It's got to be worth something, right? And this is this is one of these things that, and actually. One of the other things you can look into is that you you can you can be all high tech and fancy with electronic scales and Dylan presses and all this stuff, but you know what? When it comes down to it, I can be out in the middle of the woods as long as I got you know a pound of uh, of uh, powder and a few primers and shell cases and bullets and that little twenty dollar fifteen dollar Lee set, I can make ammo right there. Yeah, you can reload in the field. Anywhere at all. Yeah, so that, that's just funny. I, and, I, and I, no, do it to freaking candlelight if you want. No power, no nothing. It's just it's nice to be able to do that. Uh, just like, you know, you can... You, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you obviously need power to do, but this is one of the things that you don't. Really. Well, and that, to me, that goes back to the whole, you know, you can have the digital scales and the electric thrower. You know, no, do, start with everybody. Start simple. Start with everything, just analog, non-electronic. Go that way, because therefore you're doing it slow and you're getting it done. You're getting it done, and then move up to the electronics, because then you always have your backup. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, it looks like we're about <laughs> an hour on this. Yeah, event. yeah. We've, we've, we've kind of pushed this one. We have way too much fun with this stuff. So. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, that, that's been great. I appreciate it, Mark. Um, now, for all of you that are going to be listening to this uh, to this uh, podcast, um, please jump in there. Um, I've recently put up a post about wanting people who are very versed in an area. Uh, Mark's is reloading. Um, we've got people in different areas. Um, I think I've got an upcoming uh, interview with uh, Fighter Doc. Uh, we're going to get into some medical stuff there. But I actually want to try to get some people who are doing these specific things and use them as a resource, 
you know. And some people, you know, I have time or I don't have time, but they'll get they'll get back to your question eventually. And please try to do it on the forum. Um, and we're, we're you know, me and Mark are here. We're trying to help support Bob. So just everybody, if you've got if you've got a purchase you've got to make and you use your Amazon, please go through Bob's site and uh, help support Bob and help support the show. Um, we know he's going through some stuff with his family, and we pray for them. Um, Mark, you got anything to close? Not really. Like I said, it's. I would, uh, you know, just take it on as, you know, it's it's a hobby at first, <laughs> and then it kind of it kind of takes over. So uh, just be prepared to, you know, start off with the excuse that oh, I'm going to save money, and uh, no, now you're just going to shoot a whole bunch more. Yeah, good but that's, stuff. That again, like we said before, it's a good thing. That is. Right. Be safe about it, and if you're if you're not sure, ask somebody. Nobody, all the guys, look, all the guys that do this are a bunch of good old boys. They will help. They're more than happy to talk about their pet loads and their baby rifles and the bullets they cast and stuff like that. Uh, ask. Nobody is going to belittle you or call you stupid. No, uh, we're all greenhorns at one. Yeah, and this is this is one of those very very technical things, and yeah, I agree. When the guy when the guy started me out, yeah, they were always right there. Yeah, so, so. That's, that's about it, uh, Joe. I think I think this is just about to confuse everybody, you know. Well, I think no, I think this will kind of whet their appetites, and if they can find out they can either save money, and that's how they'll explain it to their wives, and then they find out they can actually shoot more for the same money, they'll it'll be okay. So, all right. Well, I thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, to everybody out there, let's just uh, let's keep moving forward and get it done. Cheers. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate that. If you want to help out by doing a guest podcast, I would love to have it. I do have a good topic planned for next week. So next week, I think you're probably just going to hear an episode coming from me. I have a good topic. I'm going to leave it as a surprise. Just keep checking the feeds for the new episodes coming out, as most of you always do but mexican joe and mark the Noof, thank you very much they're on the forum if you want to ask him questions i'm going to start a thread about this in the sub forum about podcasts it's called comments about the podcasts that's the sub forum and by the way if you're not a member of today's survival show forum please join do me a favor go to today's survival.com click the forum button sign up then send me an email and tell me you registered and give me your username that's the way I keep spammers off of the forum. Send me an email to bob at todayssurvival.com. Remember, there's two S's in that, todayssurvival.com. Send me an email and say, hey, Bob, I just registered. Here's my username. Please approve my account. Once I get that, I know that you're a real listener and you really want to participate, and I'll approve your account, and you can start posting right away. You can ask these two guys questions, or you can just start looking at all the great information on the forum. Notice I don't have any sponsors on this show this show is supported financially by listeners like you there's two ways i'd love to get your support if you like what i do if i put out good information and it helps you with your preparedness life you can support my show by not spending any extra money joe talked about it you can go to my amazon store go to todayssurvival.com Click the Amazon store. If you're ever going to buy a make a purchase through Amazon, if you're going to buy something through Amazon, please buy it through my affiliate 
link. Amazon sends me a small commission, and that's one way you can support my show, and you didn't even have to spend any extra money because you were going to make a purchase anyway. I also have custom podcasts with exclusive material that's never been aired on this show before. It's called the Survival Champions Club Podcasts, and those are available for $25 each. They're a digital download, and I'll send you an email as to how to get those downloads. 25 bucks each, or you can buy the whole collection of five or six podcasts for 75 bucks. So that's another way. If you go to todayssurvival.com website, you'll see how to invest in the Survival Champions Club podcast. Well, folks, thanks again. I appreciate your taking the time to listen. Again, sorry I've been away, but this has been another episode of today's Survival Show. I'm Bob Main. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have. Wherever you are, start reloading some ammunition, and I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.